everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. We have on our program today, Trisha Duckworth from Survivors Speak. Welcome to the show, Trisha. Appreciate being here with you all. Well, it's great to have you. Um, so can you tell us a bit about yourself and what your background is? Sure. So um, I am basically a community activist. Um, my background education-wise would be I'm a social worker. And really, I started in activism before social work. I kind of just found my way into social work and thought, whoa, this is who I am. And so I'm just grateful for that opportunity to really be walking in my destiny, you know, which is just fighting for justice. And how, how did Survivors Speak come about? So there was a big case that happened at a Michigan State University. And there was a doctor and there was all these women that began to speak out about what had happened to them. And so from that, we birthed Survivor Speak with the notion that everyone is surviving something and needs the opportunity to be able to have an outlet for that, what they have suffered. So we started to just give a voice um, to taboo topics and to things that individuals really didn't want to talk about. Such as? Such as, you know, rape, molestation, very taboo topics. A lot of people don't want to talk about them. Um, and domestic violence. A lot of women are suffering, um, and men, right? Because we want to definitely say that there are men um, that have acts of domestic violence against them as well. And they really suffer in silence because generally a lot of men do not contact the police when they are abused. So you have all of these individuals who are suffering in silence and don't necessarily find the strength to be able to air those things out. So with Survivor Speaks, we actually started through the arts. And what individuals would do is come in and express those things via, like, testimonials, dance. You know, some people did rap. Just whatever outlet of creativity that they wanted to get this thing out, that's what they would do. And from there, it just grew into putting a voice to social justice topics because me as a social worker is just something that I was passionate about. So our agency just chose to start highlighting some of those things as well. Um, because again, you have to think about social justice topics, um, even with wrongful conviction. You know, you hear about it, but you don't hear about it. 
the way that you should, in my opinion. Not to like nowadays we hear about a little more than what we did, but we are about sounding the alarm for things that individuals need to hear about and these social injustices that we need to keep in the face of the community so that they are aware of what's going on. And how big an organization are you? Well, actually, our organization just grew. Um, it's an amazing blessing. Um, we connected with some, I call them my warrior sisters. Um, they actually came, a few of them actually came to our summit, our wrongful conviction summit back in July. And from that, we just have a relationship on Facebook and we just talk back and forth. And from there, we started an Ohio chapter, uh, Louisiana, Delaware, Indiana, as well as Oregon. So we're just in the building stages of that. We meet weekly um, for our chapter meetings so that we can build and grow. And we're actually going to be having summits in each state as well. So we're in the beginning stages of that. And it'll be kind of easy to a certain extent because the blueprint is already laid. So we'll just be copying it in each state and then adding whatever the executive directors in that area are passionate about. So. And are these mostly volunteers? Yes, yes. At this point right now, we are all volunteers. Um, and it's it's good because um, we've also had some interns that help as well, um, family members that help, individuals that are just passionate about justice that have just volunteered. It's just been so amazing. Um, and even for the venues, down to the venues that we've gotten for our events, you know, they have been donated to us by the different various uh, colleges that we partner with. And so it's just been a, a, a very, 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 um, I'd say, you know, as far as volunteers, we just have that plenteous, plenteous. Now, is this a full-time gig for you at this point? So for me, this is full-time, but I also um, work for SOAR. SOAR is a prevention agency. Our executive director is Valerie Kelly Bonner. She also works um, with us as well on everything that we do with Survivor Speak. And um, so I'm the director of programming and outreach there. So we actually offer peer recovery coach training, um, human trafficking, suicide um, prevention workshops. So I do that as well. Uh, as survivors speak. And then Valerie and I also both head up um, Michigan Wrongful Conviction Task Force, where we are partnering with agencies in the area um, that are working with wrongful conviction and criminal justice reform as a whole, and coming under one umbrella to work together to combat wrongful convictions in the state of Michigan. So how did you get involved uh, with wrongful convictions? Wow, good question. So, um, you know, I've always seen things about it, but it, it wasn't anything that was necessarily personal to me at that time. Of course, I had empathy in my heart when I would see it and like, wow, this is terrible. Um, but I actually met a family, the VZ family. It's a V-E-S-E-Y. And the VZ brothers were convicted of a triple homicide in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And so I met the mother and then I met the um, son and we just started to work together. The mother had been fighting by herself for about 14 years. And so we just came in and kind of helped and assisted. Um, we threw some rallies, we scheduled some meetings, you know, to just keep her in the face of individuals, reminding them about the sons. 
And so we did that for a couple of years. Um, and then the Innocence Project took their case. So after the Innocence Project took their case, uh, we had all these different connections and other families that we had worked with in wrongful conviction or had met, you know. And so it just kind of broadened. And we began to just see that we needed legislative change. Um, we needed the community to be aware of what's going on. You know, you think about the movie When They See Us. That came out and the whole world was shocked, you know. And it's like, yes, this is horrible, but guess what? This has been going on for so long. So, you know, it's just very important. And that's why we, as an agency, are committed to keeping a public forum quarterly just so that we stay in the face of the community and make sure the individuals know that somebody's in prison suffering for something they didn't do. So what kind of work do you do on behalf of people that are wrongly convicted? So basically at this point, it is advocacy. Um, Like I said, I work individually with families. I do have families that reach out and contact us. Um, And so what we do is we offer them the platform to be able to speak or like right now we're in the midst of um, getting a support group together for mothers that have been fighting. And then from that, we'll also do a support group for exonerees and their families because that's a uh, transition when they come home being acclimated back into um, with their loved ones. And so just things of that nature. But the biggest thing on our hearts right now is the whole legislative piece, because while we definitely want individuals to come home from prison, we further want a deterrent put in place so that this stops happening. And that is in the form of accountability. We have to have something done about the individuals that keep breaking the law because they're the ones that are supposed to be upholding the law, but they're breaking it. So we are challenging people to put legislation in place that will do just that, hold them accountable. And um, tell us about your wrongful conviction summit. Wow. So the summit um, was back in July. And honestly, it was beyond anything that was planned. it was very well attended. Uh, we had individuals that actually um, got some very great footage, and we were able to put the footage out so that not only individuals in attendance would know what was going on, but it would be um, across social media sites as well. And so we had um, Bishop Hugh Smith, which is actually my pastor, and he's the president of the Justice Network. He was there, very powerful, very powerful, and just talked about how people needed a change in the heart, you know, because you can put legislation in place, but if people's hearts aren't right, they won't execute on it. And um, we had the uh, Cooley Law School there. Uh, We had our Attorney General, Assistant Attorney General Robin Frankel there. She actually was um, getting ready to head up the CIU at that time. They weren't open. They are actually open now, I think as of December the 2nd, So all of the applicants have received um, their applications and in hope that they can get their case looked at by the CIU. So she was very gracious to come and share the information uh, with the audience. And we had a great um, local activist named Abdul Hakim, who basically speaks very loudly, sounds the alarm very loudly in the area of prosecutorial misconduct and holding individuals accountable. Uh, We also have Valerie Valerie Kelly Bonner there as well. And then we had an individual that was running for a prosecutor in Washtenaw County. 
a very progressive um, prosecutor, and we're hoping that he actually wins because he wants to start a CIU in that area. And so, you know, I think that's the key, too, is getting into office that are going to be about what we, the people, feel needs to happen and not what their agenda is. Wow, that that sounds amazing. Um, so tell us about some of the cases that uh, you guys have worked on. You mentioned the one that kind of got you started, um, but are, are there some interesting stories there? So we, we have not really worked on any case as hard as we've worked on the VZ case. Um, although we have um, a partnership and network with um, the DeJesus family, they are here in Michigan as well, two sons. I don't know what's going on here in Michigan where they're, con- uh, they're taking, you know, the sons of these mothers the way that they are, but two sons that are in prison for life. Um, the, the, the sad part about this is that one of the young sons was on, um, what do you call that? He had a tether. And he cut his tether off a few days earlier. And so because they weren't able to place him, that is why they could say that he did what he did. And then the individual who actually did the crime is the individual that pulled these two brothers in, which is similar to the VZ case, because the individual that, that supposedly knocked on the door for the crime to be committed is the one that framed these brothers. And it, that case is really, really something else because now um, we were hoping that this young lady would be able to um, come out with the truth. She did 13 years for her part, and we hoping she was going to come out with the truth when she came home. And the police got her on a bogus charge. I think they were scared that she would tell. Put her back in for two more years, saying she violated her parole. When they let her out, two months later, she had overdosed. And they've gotten a piece of some fentanyl for some heroin, I believe, and overdosed. And so, you know, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, her voice is not going to still speak loudly from the grave. And that's what I say is that, you know, I think now because they'll take other accounts from witnesses because she can't speak for herself. And so we're hoping to see some change in that. Not sure how it's going because, like I said, the Innocence Project does have their case, but we're hoping that some changes will be made. And those brothers will be coming home soon. Uh, and the DeJesus brothers, their case is also with the Innocence Project. And for me, that is hope because these individuals do not, the Innocence Project do not take their case unless they feel like it's something that they can um, effectively fight. And so we're happy that both of those families um, are together. And the mothers, they have had um, a connection and a love for each other ever since they've met. I love Mr. Jesus as well. She's just an amazing fighter. And Gloria of Jackson, she's an amazing fighter as well. So I don't know. I've just had a, I, it's just been a blessing to meet all of these mothers because I've even met some recently, you know, that are fighting. And I have to tell them we're not actually working on cases, but what's so beautiful is that these mothers have signed on to help fight for the bigger picture as well as still fighting for their children. And so it's just amazing. Um, what sort of legislation are you guys looking at supporting? I've uh, obviously followed the issue of wrongful conviction for a long time. I've seen reforms in my state and some of the other state reforms. What things are you guys looking at? So when we look at the accountability 
two things. New York has um, Jeffrey Deskovic, amazing what they have done with It Can Happen to You um, out there. And we're actually hoping that they will be here in Michigan soon too um, as well. But um, looking to mimic what New York and even California, California has, um, and I was reading an article where it says that they either are pushing or have um, where they're going to prosecute individuals that um, operate in misconduct, where New York has the commission that will basically remove you from um, your seat or being able to practice law. You know, but in my opinion, in our opinion, we believe that you should be doing time as well um, if you break the law like this. And the thing about it is the law in place for us, if we do something like that, perjury or obstruction, those sentences are real for us. I believe perjury on a murder is up to 15 years. So, hey, if they're going to operate in misconduct, we are calling for them to get the same or greater charge against them. So, and, and we're just in, in talks now. We've met with some um, senators. Um, and we've met with the uh, governor's head policy advisor. And, of course, we're just trying to um, look at the Constitution of Michigan and see what the law says and then build from there. Um, actually, the senator is on board and even wanting to write the bill, um, but we want to make sure that it's a bipartisan effort um, because this is not about Republican or Democrat. You see right now we're fighting um, like nobody's business, but this is something right here that we can all shake hands across the aisle and say justice needs to happen in this area. Well, it's very interesting how small a world this is. Um, so I know Jeff Deskovic. In fact, he came out to speak at our organization back in October. And um, we've been working with Jeff and Bill Bostick on bringing the Prosecutorial Misconduct Commission out to California. So I know all about those efforts. Um, and- wow, yeah, yeah. We were in talks with them as as well you know they got a lot going on and so um we've got a lot going on too and hopefully we can merge because at the end of the day it's just about getting the work done you know and there's no in my opinion there's no need to reinvent the wheel but we just have to make sure that you know everybody's on board and we can unite and move forward and fight this fight because it's a heavy fight but it's one that we see can be done and they've done that so I'm interested in in kind of understanding the human side of this. You know, your organization is Survivors Speak. Do you, do you guys work with people whose loved ones are uh, wrongly convicted, incarcerated currently, or have been exonerated? So basically, Survivors Speak just provides the platform. What I mean by that is it gives the space for individuals to get the awareness out about their loved ones. So I'll say when we had the summit back in July, we did what's called the Parade of Incarcerated Loved Ones. And each family was given a table where they were able to display pictures, um, collage boards, and give out information about their cases. So um, the attendees were able to walk around and, and see each table and get the information. So survivors speak definitely, definitely um, helps with that. Me as a social worker personally, when individuals need referrals to counseling or different things of that nature, um, I offer resources that are available that I know of to give to these families. And that's just something on a personal level. Um, I just had someone reach out to me on Facebook last week wanting help 
for the case and I had to tell her, you know, as an agency, Survivor Speak does not dig into any cases, but I also was able to um, give to her the information of Bill Proctor, who uh, works with Seeking Justice here in Michigan and does private investigative work and in hopes that she could allow him to look into the case and hopefully they will get the break that they needed. So we just like to connect people to resources. And honestly, that's what the task force is about because the task force is just like a main hub. And when individuals come with us, either agencies, um, we can point them to certain things or families to the agencies, or we can work together as a conglomerate to put on events and to do things together as far as legislative wise. And so that's what we're doing. Um, another thing that we're actually working on, and we're just in the beginning stages of this, um, to build a website um, that would show individuals that have accounts of misconduct, whether it will be police, judges, or prosecutors. So that way individuals can start to see the pattern. Okay, if this person has three accounts, then maybe somebody needs to look into that. And so we had this idea. We thought it was this great idea. And then we found out that somebody else had already done it. And so right now we are revamping and trying to connect with those individuals because it may be something that we can just add to what they've already done and make it a nationwide database that people can see. So, Well, I'll get on my soapbox for one second, if you don't mind, um, because sure. I've, you know, been, uh, I guess I would say accidentally working in this space, uh, for the last 10 years or so, just because I've come in contact with so many families of wrongly convicted people. And the biggest mm -hmm. thing I will say is that if you're a victim of, of a crime or your, your loved one was the victim of a crime, they have victims advocacy services. They walk you through the process. They support you. If your loved one is wrongly convicted, there's nothing. Nobody knows what, what the heck they're doing. They don't know what to expect. Yeah. They don't know how the process works. They don't know what resources are out there. If somebody could find a way to provide that information in a place where somebody could just Google it uh, and locate it, I think that would be a tremendous asset uh, for people that are, are going through really dark times. Yeah. Wow. That, that's amazing that you actually said that because that's what we're doing in the, in the form of um, the task force, which is not online. So, but what you're saying is there's something that could be at somebody's fingertips when somebody may not want to reach out, they can reach out and into the internet and get the information still that they need. And um, it, it's crazy because I'm getting ready to meet with a mother this afternoon that I just recently met at a criminal justice reform um, panel. And um, she's wanting, because she's just now starting to speak out about it because she was so embarrassed. But now she wants that information that you're talking about. How, how do I fight? Where do I start? She has something in with the uh, Michigan in, uh, Conviction Integrity Unit, but she also wants to know about some other things as well. So I'm going to meet with her and kind of be that networking resource for her. But it definitely is something that people need. Um, and then that's why also, too, we're trying to rally the mothers together um, and the family members together. Because the thing about it is this. When you may feel powerless as an individual, uniting with someone else who's going through the same thing, although it may not be the same, 
thing per se, you still have that common thing that you're doing. You're fighting for your loved ones. And so we found that bringing the mothers together is also giving them some hope um, because they're they're fighting together and they're not just fighting and working on their own individual cases now. They're, you know, meeting and hearing about the other cases that the mothers are going through. They're meeting with the um, legislators talking about what can be done. And so it's basically a movement that is spreading. People just want justice for their loved ones and individuals as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they're confused. Nobody knows exactly how this process is going to work. And it, you know, uncertainty in, in process creates a lot of anxiety and depression and all sorts of other things. And it happens for the people that are incarcerated. I've gotten to know quite a few incarcerated and, and, and you can just see it wearing on them over time, but it also yeah. hits the families, you know, I see so many families and, you know, they, um, you know, one family I worked with, you know, they end up getting divorced. The guy, uh, for a long time, wasn't able to see his sons. Uh, you know, it's just a messy thing. Family relationships fade over time because the people on the outside, their life is going on, even though on the inside, they're just stuck in there. Um, and yeah, so, yeah. You, you know, uh, they're just all sorts of things I don't think anyone ever thinks about. Um, so, you know, I think what you guys are doing can really provide a real valuable uh, resource uh, once once you get kind of everything up and going. Yeah, yeah. Because one thing that you said, it's an indictment on the entire family. It's an indictment on the entire family. And you're right. No one does ever think about that. And then, you know, another thing that people don't think about, while you have someone in prison for the wrong thing, the family of the victim is still suffering because they have no justice because you've allowed this individual to go free while you house the wrong person for this crime. And so there's just so many different angles that we need to look at. I, I was just, um, someone gave a reference to me the other day that I should reach out to Healing Justice. And so we'll be reaching out to them because, you know, that is their area of expertise um, in, in this fight and so it's so much but it's doable and I think that's why pulling everyone together is imperative there's no need in everybody working on a thousand things and not getting done where if we unite then we're much more powerful together um so are there other issues that you guys are working on other than wrongful convictions so, yes, actually, wrongful conviction is one of our top platforms. However, we also work with students um, to put on student assemblies. And it's like a two-month, maybe eight, nine-week um, process um, where we go in with the students, host audition. They sign up for whatever it is that they want to portray um, based on the title. And then we go from there. Uh, this year, we actually did a short film. Um, that I was able to write and the students filmed. Um, and it was just, it was amazing to see them just, you know, coming to their personalities in front of the camera. And so the day of the assembly, we showed the short film. Um, we had a congresswoman out speaking about being bullied. Um, and, and then some of the students sang and rapped. And then also um, we had an invited guest. Uh, it was an individual that I had bullied when I was in school. And she was so gracious to come out and share her experience and um, the things that she went through, as well as 
um, what we are doing to heal and mend um, that relationship now. And and it, to me, is just a testament to the students that, look, when you bully somebody, you think about it in the moment, but it goes far beyond the moment. And we need to think about that before we act. And so um, we do that as well as um, we've had some um, conversations, community conversations around uh, community policing, as well as um, medical marijuana, the legislation being passed for it to be totally legal here in Michigan. And we're actually um, getting ready to host a forum about people of color and cannabis and the disparities of people of color that are basically ostracized from being able to be a part of the cannabis industry um, due to monetary um, assets that they are asking of astronomical amounts, which of course um, some individuals don't have. So we're hoping that here in Michigan, they will one day level the playing field so that everyone will be able to have that financial freedom that comes from cannabis. Wow. Uh, A lot of work. Uh, So any big plans for 2020? You know, we are just continuing to sound the alarm. I personally am um, going to be testing to for my full licensure for social work. Then after that, I'm going to um, take the LSAT because it is my goal to um, be a civil rights litigator and be able to actually um, litigate on some of these cases that you know, we're passionate about. So that is what we have planned for next year. And I don't know where all that's going to fit, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're going to do our best to get it done. I know exactly how you feel. Well, I wanted to <laughs> thank you for being on our show today. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's just, it's been amazing to talk with you. It really has. It's been an honor. I thank you. Well, that was Trisha Duckworth from Survivors Speak. She talked about her work on behalf of people wrongly convicted. Uh, It sounds like Michigan has a lot of the same issues that everywhere else does. No real surprise. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm David Greenwald welcoming you to come on to our podcast on a weekly basis. And you can also log on to our website at davisvanguard.org and get the latest in our coverage of the courts and criminal justice reform. So that's davisvanguard.org. Thank you for being on our show. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.